Yeah. It's great to see you guys. If you're uh, checking us out for the first time, I apologize in advance because you're jumping midstream into a series that we have uh, embarked on with um, the theme of it's more or less the toughest questions in the Bible. And uh, so here's my issue. For the majority of my Christian faith, I was afraid of the scriptures. I knew in my heart that God was good, but I didn't think the scriptures proved it. And I had so many uh, questions. I had so many, but what ifs? And, and what when this happens, uh, how does God fit into these situations? And it really challenged me, and it really uh, became an issue for faith. So am I okay here? Possibly. Uh, what I wanted to do is I wanted to like just go after the scriptures. Because what I found is that when there is fear, there is no intimacy. When there's fear of who God is and what he can do, there's no way you can have intimacy with him. If there's aspects of the scripture that you're afraid of. And so what I wanted to do was I just wanted to go after the scriptures and find God. Like surely you have answers to these really crazy questions that I have and I really want to know what they are. And at the base of it is that I had a fear of the scripture that, should I just jump to the, I, you guys okay? Okay, someone yell at me if, if this is breaking. Lord, we just thank you for microphones and sound equipment and all sorts of wonderful things that make this service work. And so, Lord, we just take authority over every distraction. Thank you, Lord. Thank you here that we're here to be with you. Come, Holy Spirit. Amen. So what I was saying was that I don't want us to be afraid of the scriptures. I don't want there to be any question where we have that we are afraid of what the Bible really says about it. And so I want to give you an examination of these challenging topics. And we've been in the topic of healing and why do we not see the healings today that we read about in the New Testament? Why do you read about things that go on in other countries or in other time periods and other eras of faith that don't happen now? And so my hope is that we are redeeming scripture that has been tricky or fearful in our lives. My hope is that we are liberating people who have been taught that God gives sickness and infirmity because he is sovereign. My hope is that we begin to live Christian lives worthy of what we believe. And so my hope is that through all of this, There we go. Got it. My hope through all of this is that we are drawn into the scriptures. We are drawn into the scriptures for truth. And so uh, you're jumping into part four of our healing series. And the question is, is um, maybe some say, why don't people get healed? That's what, what is it that is blocking healing? And so what I've said before many times, and you guys all have to hear me on this, please, is that this is not a thus saith the Lord. <laughs> this is not a one size fits all. My aim here is to give you thorough look at the scripture and let you decide to check it out for yourself, to let you decide where God is in this. And I'm going to give you my observations and my perspective. I'm going to give you what I think the patterns are in the scripture that are pointing to. And just to open the questions, but you guys need to decide in your hearts where truth is in here. I know what I believe, and that's my issue. But for you, don't, if, if what I say interrupts your world, someone last night said, um, I was listening a couple weeks ago and it made me angry. I was like, yeah. Imagine being made angry and then having to teach on it a few weeks later. 
that's me. Like half the stuff that I'm coming to, like it, it, it disrupted me. And so um, all this, it's not a formula. I like patterns in scripture. So there you go. All right. So what did you miss last week? Last week, we talked about the forces that come against healing. We talked about that the region, the city, and the place you are in matters with healing. It's amazing how many times Jesus took people out of temples, took people out of cities, took people out of villages, took people across rivers into other countries, and then healed them. It's amazing. The second thing that we saw is that the people that you are with matters for healing. It's incredible how many times Jesus took only three other disciples out of 12 to go into a healing room. It's amazing how many times Jesus sent other people out who are weeping in order to heal people. And so the people that we're around with matter. And third, we found that the condition of your heart is also a force for healing, either for or against it. We found that a hardened heart can block the power of God. And how the Pharisees Uh, had hardened hearts. And we left off at that spot, the condition of your heart, and how the condition of your heart is a gatekeeper to the power of God. And the condition of your heart, if it's hard, will block the power of God in your life. So how do we fix it? So after the hardened heart, there's something that permits a hardened heart. And this is the next part. This is where we're going to pick up tonight. This is number four out of the series, um, is the stubbornness of your mind. The stubbornness of your mind. Last week we talked about the Pharisees. It's Mark chapter 3, verse 5. It says that Jesus grieved. He felt bad for the Pharisees. None of us ever feel bad for the Pharisees. But Jesus grieved because they had a hard heart. Why? Because they, of all people, should have been the ones to know about the effects of a hardened heart against God. Because they knew all the scriptures about the nation of Israel. And so the question was like, why didn't they learn from the Old Testament? Surely they had known. But they had a hardened heart because they had a stubborn mind. The reason the Pharisees and the reason that we have a hardened heart is because we have a stubborn mind. It's interesting that the Pharisees, they trained, listen, the Pharisees, they trained their entire lives so that they would know the Messiah when he got there. And as the Messiah stood in front of them, they couldn't see him even though their entire lives been dedicated to knowing who he was when he would show up. And there he was, right in front of them, and they couldn't see him. Here's the thought is that the smartest people, when it came to the scriptures, could not see the Messiah through their intelligence. Their mind was a stumbling block. Why didn't they acknowledge him with their minds? Because their hearts were hardened, and because of those two things, they never saw the power of God in their life. The most religious, if if you look at the scriptures, the most religious people in the New Testament had the fewest breakthroughs. And the people that were the rejected, the people that were the most broken had the most wise because they didn't have a hardened heart. They didn't have a stubborn mind. And Jesus marvels at this difference between people with hardened hearts and hardened minds. And Jesus reacts to this. He sent out the 70, right? He's like, go out and, and, and cast out demons, heal the sick, cleanse the lepers. And so the disciples came back and they're like, you know, clicking their heels. They're like, woo, you know, like even the demons listen to us, you know. And and here's what Jesus responds with in Luke 10, verse 21. At that very time, Jesus rejoiced greatly in the Holy Spirit. This is one of the few times you see Jesus expressing joy. 
At the very time, he rejoiced greatly in the Holy Spirit and said, I praise you, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the, look, from the wise and intelligent and have revealed them to infants. Yes, Father, for this was well-pleasing in your sight. Why does Jesus rejoice? Because you don't need to be smart or gifted to enter the kingdom. (laughs) Amen in the front row. (laughs) Why is it well-pleasing to God? It's because it's accessible to everyone. The power of God, the kingdom of God is accessible to everyone. Jesus rejoiced because he's like, the people who thought they had it most actually have it least. He's like, the people who didn't expect anything, they have it all. And Jesus is marveling. He's celebrating. And basically, there's no prerequisite. You need to listen to me tonight. There's no prerequisite. There's no minimum requirement for God for you to operate in the power of God. Not only that, if you solely rely on your intellect, you might miss the entire thing. The truths and revelations of God are accessible to everyone. And it's why I don't have a desire for seminary. They wouldn't like me. I wouldn't like them. But what God showed me, he gave me the passage that says, the Lord will give you understanding in everything. I'm not trying to knock education. Not at all. I think I would do very well. I would come away with a lot of tools. But what I don't want is I don't want my intellect to become a substitute for my faith. Five times, Jesus references children in conjunction with the kingdom. Five times, Jesus references children. We have all these kids all around here now. Five, and they're like yelling in the middle of worship. Last week, Scarlett, I grabbed the microphone. Did you hear a little cameo? You know, it was great. So we have, we have kids around. But, but Jesus, five times, references children regarding the kingdom. Now, what is the first thing about children is that what they are uneducated, Right? They know how to sing Frozen, and they know like Sesame Street, they know Elmo, they know a couple things. You know, essentially, they don't know what they don't know, right? The second thing is they believe everything. You can say, Daddy can fly. Really? Can I fly too? Like they are just, they're all about it. And these are the two attributes I believe that Jesus is referencing as he talks about the kingdom. Why? Is because you can miss the kingdom while trying to make sense of it. Jesus references children for the kingdom. Why? Because the children don't need to say, well, I really need to look this up more. I'm just not in a season to really process this right now. I mean, the children don't say that. They're not, well, I don't know. I I once heard a a preacher who said something else, and I don't know, like, you know, my dad said that. That doesn't really happen. Like, children just take it. They they love it. They embrace it without question. 1 Corinthians uh, 2, 1 Corinthians, I'm sorry, 1, 27 says, God, and Eric said this, God chose the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. Think of this. For salvation, if you are in Christ, you've given your life to God. God, and you've accepted Jesus as your Savior, you had to do one very specific thing. You had to let your uh, heart overrule your mind. Everybody in here, here who has received Jesus, you had to do one thing. You had to let your heart overrule your mind, not your mind overrule your heart. It is your mind that tries to keep your heart from believing and being saved. In salvation, we must intentionally put our mind aside. Why? Because salvation, if you really think about it, it's nuts. A man comes to earth from a virgin, fully God, fully man, lives a perfect life, 
died, rose again, is in me now. I mean, and paid for my sins, you know. It is all crazy. Paid for all of my life for past. Like, you really have to, like, turn that thing off. Because if you start to go through that, oh, God always was and always has been and always will be. You're like, oh, you know, you can't get around it. In order for you really to believe about God, you need to not let this thing get in the way. I'm not saying that, that we be ignorant. There's, Jesus says, be wise. There's wisdom. But for salvation, we must bring the objections of our mind under the authority of our heart. Let me say that again. In salvation, you must bring the objections of your mind. That doesn't make sense. How could that be under the authority of your heart? Yes, Jesus, you live, and I am paid for because of what you did, and I'll be with you. It completely overrides our mind, and the same thing is with healing. Jesus links children to the kingdom five times. When Jesus talks about healing, he says, say that the kingdom has come near you. What does this mean? It means the same thing as you entered the kingdom of salvation to dispense the kingdom for healing, you also must suspend your mind. You also must overrule the objections of your mind. When you participate in healing, you are dispensing, you are giving, you are partaking and sampling the bits of eternity to people here on earth. And so if you had to take authority of your mind to enter into the kingdom of God for salvation, it probably means you need to take the authority of your mind to distribute the kingdom power. Is that making sense? And most Christians, myself included, took authority of their mind in order to get saved, but haven't taken authority over it in order to be powerful. You took authority of your mind just enough to be locked up for eternity with Jesus. Sweet. And then you turned it back on and you live a powerless life. Why? Because your mind is now running the show. No wonder you are saved, but then lead a powerless life because you suspended the belief in your heart. The smartest people are generally the least powerful. You'll not be able to receive the power of the kingdom nor distribute the power of the kingdom if your mind is trying to figure it out and have a reason for it. For me, I always want a reason. Like there's something that happened, like I couldn't explain, well, where's that in the Bible? You know, uh, you know, like if it doesn't happen in the Bible, it can't happen here. That's actually baloney. It doesn't need to be, every instance of the power, well, let me say it this way. All of the Bible is truth, right? But not all truth is in the Bible. We have a lot of examples. We have a lot of things we say, yes, Jesus, that's true, but there are principles that Jesus lays out that become true in other contexts. We live in a different world now. We don't have camels and burkas and all the stuff that you know, they had back then. Well, most of us don't, but largely we live in a different time. But if you're requiring your brain to inform your faith, you will never see the power of the kingdom. And if you do see it, you will discount it as some rational explanation. And that's what's happened with the Pharisees, is that their intellect hardened their hearts so they could not see what was right before them that they were trained to see. It is possible to be so smart that you miss the very thing that you're trained to see. It's possible to rely so much on your intellect that what you want to see eventually blinds you from ever seeing it when it actually does happen. 
So the question is, has our intellect hardened our heart from seeing healing? Are we not seeing the power of God because our minds are requiring an explanation first? How many times have we wandered through the workings of God and then we've come with a skeptical posture? We've wondered, what is the explanation for that? Are we, like the Pharisees, actually seeing healing and seeing the power of God? Because they saw it all, right? The Pharisees had the front row seats for every working, every power, every miracle of God. And then they rationalized it, they explained it through something else. Are we those same people that we see the works of God and then we attribute it to some other explanation? And for this reason, it may be easier to heal someone outside of many churches than to heal them inside the churches. It's entirely possible that we have churches that run solely on theology, intellect, the mindset, the scripture memorization, all that stuff, which is, there's nothing wrong with that, but when it comes at the expense of the power and the authority of God and his workings, that's when it becomes problematic. John 2.6 says, whoever claims to have a relationship with Jesus will live as Jesus lived, and Jesus was healing, casting out demons, performing miracles 80% of the time. And how do our lives line up to that? Not very well. This is why you don't see headlines like um, revivals spreading throughout seminary. You know, like theology professors slain in the spirit. You know, these aren't like typical things we think of in here. But we see many testimonies. I'm excited for tonight to hear the testimonies from El Salvador because we see so many things that are happening with people who are the least likely, the least educated because they have the least mind that's stubborn against it. Does that make sense? The next one, I'm just going to give you guys two tonight, is unbelief. Now, there are two places that unbelief resides. That's called the power pause. There's two places that unbelief resides. Unbelief about the power of God in you, whether you're the person praying or receiving, and unbelief against you. I'll get into that one in a second. Let's first look at unbelief within you. How can we understand what unbelief is? Unbelief, the best way I can describe to you, is simply it's doubt. Unbelief is doubt. Mark chapter 9, 21 and 25 says this, and he asked his father, this is Jesus who has um, had a, a demon-possessed boy come before him. Jesus asked the father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood, it has often thrown him both into the fire, into the water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, if you can, all things are possible to him who believes. Immediately the boy's father cried out and says, I do believe, help my unbelief. And when Jesus saw the crowd was rapidly gathering, he rebuked the unclean spirit saying to it, you deaf and mute spirit, I command you come out of him and do not enter him again. Famous words, I do believe, help my unbelief. How does that make sense? What does that mean? I believe, help my unbelief. It means this, I have faith, but I also have doubt. It means I have faith in you, Jesus. I believe you exist, but I really question what you're capable of doing. 
I believe, help my unbelief. That's saying, I believe there's a God. I don't know if he's active today. That's, I believe, help my unbelief. He's essentially saying, I believe in you, Jesus, but I'm unsure what I believe for what you're capable of doing. Isn't that the church today? Isn't that Christians today that we believe Jesus? We believe a man really was here 2,000 years ago, but we now question the power for today. I believe, help my unbelief. What does Jesus say about doubting? Remember, unbelief is doubt. Mark eleven twenty. As they were passing by in the morning, they saw the fig tree withered from the roots up. Being reminded, Peter said, Rabbi, look, the fig tree which you cursed has withered. And Jesus answered, saying to them, have faith in God. Truly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and cast into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says is going to happen, it will be granted him. Therefore, I say to you, all things which you pray and ask, look, believe that you have received them and they will be granted you. I do believe, help my unbelief. This illustration here clearly describes the same situation. Let me show you. Jesus is describing a situation of someone praying to God and doubting what God can do. People think, oh, well, I have faith in God. I don't have unbelief. Unbelief is not faith that God exists. It says that the devils you know, and the demons believe that God exists and shudder. Totally different topic. You can be fully saved, believe that God is fully uh, alive and, and there, but you can doubt what he does. It's not unbelief in God. It's unbelief in what's possible with God. The scenario, again, is that they believe there's a God, but they're praying with doubt. They're saying, God, I believe you exist but I'm going to ask something with my words that my heart doesn't agree with. Let me say that again. You can pray things with your mouth that your heart does not believe in. You can pray things with your mouth that your heart does not believe in. This is what separates faith from witchcraft. Witchcraft is about formless spells, order, words, you know, like uh, routines. Um, faith is about belief in your heart aligned with words of your mouth. So don't ever expect your mouth to accomplish something that your heart is in disagreement with. Amen by myself. <laughs> don't expect your mouth to accomplish anything that your heart doesn't agree with. Don't say it if you don't believe it. You know what? Here's something. Here you go. Along the same lines of, of not doing what you have no intent to do, it's kind of like praying things you don't believe. You know, oh, bro, I'm going to pray for you. No, you're not. Right? Who here has done that? No, don't raise hands. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> oh, I'm praying for you. Seven days later. Oh, I forgot to pray for him. Darn it. If you ever say, I'm going to pray for you, pray for them right then and there. You know why? Because the thing when people say, oh, I'm praying for you, they're like, no, you're not. Call me. You know, let's pray together. Don't tell me on Facebook you're praying for me. I mean, maybe you are. I mean, I'm not going to diminish that, but I'm saying the chances are you're not. Let's just say it. The chances are it looks really good in the comment feed. I'm offending people left and right right now. It's true. Otherwise, you wouldn't be offended, Right? Don't expect your mouth to accomplish anything your heart doesn't agree with. You need to ask yourself, 
before you lay hands on people, whether your heart even agrees in the first place. It's totally okay to say, you know what? You want something that I actually, I can't give you. I can pray for you. I can, I can speak the words, be healed. I can say those words, but you know what? Right now, in my heart, in my life right now, it's not truth. And you know what? I'm still like in that area. I'm gonna be real with you guys. I'm like in the middle of this. I'm in the middle of seeing, I've seen God do crazy things, but there's something about it. Here's how I know that I'm not fully there in my heart yet. And I confess this to you, just to be honest with you guys, is that I would be surprised if people are healed when I pray for them. You can't pray without doubt and then be surprised when it happens. If you're surprised when someone gets healed by you, you, you did something wrong. You shouldn't be surprised if you pray for someone and they get healed. You should be like, that's right. That's exactly right. <laughs> that is what belief is. Belief is like your appointment for healing is 15 minutes late. Get here. Done. Next. You should not be surprised. And so right now, what God is working on me, he, last week we talked about being unaffected by the workings of God. There's so many things I've, I've seen that are like, can we get an x-ray on that? You know? Right? And so I'm saying like, thank you, Jesus. I don't need to see an x-ray. Thank you, Jesus. I'm just gonna go with that. I'm gonna attribute it to God. I don't care if the person's faking because God is glorified by my faith and believing that he can do that. Even if you didn't get, I still believe he can. My faith is not contingent upon you being healed. I'm going to talk about how do we react when people don't get healed. That's a different message altogether I'm going to get into. It's going to be good. But on this one, that we need to check our hearts. Are we praying things that we don't disagree with at all in our heart? And God is working on me. And what I've come to the realization is that I, I used to, talking about the cities and the places, I used to say, well, God can do that here if he really wants to. I'm convinced that God wants to do it everywhere. And I need to put myself and my eyes into situations and circumstances where I see and believe and stop being so surprised. Maybe we're not seeing healing is because we're acting so surprised when it does happen. If we begin to expect it, and, and it says if you do not doubt in your heart and you believe it and you, you don't doubt at all that you have it. So unbelief is doubt, and, and so we ask ourselves, okay, did the, did the disciples ever have doubt, even after seeing the miracles? Yes. Mark chapter 16, 14. Afterward, Jesus appeared to the eleven themselves as they were reclining at the table, this is Jesus after he was resurrected. And Jesus reproached them for their, look, for their unbelief and hardness of heart because they had not believed those who had seen him after he had risen. Why did they, the disciples of all people, have unbelief? They were the ones who walked alongside Jesus. They were the ones that were handing out fish from this like never-ending box. You know, they were there for all of it. I believe that they had unbelief because they had discouragement. Unbelief is doubt, and the evil twin sister of doubt is discouragement. Maybe we prayed for somebody, and it didn't happen. And then we get doubt, and we get discouraged, and we get sad. 
You can have faith but still have unbelief because of doubt. You can still have faith but still have unbelief because of discouragement. I'll tell you what, there's a man who's really close to me. I've been meeting with him once a month for eight years. He was the one who inspired me to have a desire for scripture memorization. A week ago today, I had lunch with him three weeks ago. A week ago today, it was found that he has a walnut-sized tumor in his brain. In three days, he went from fine to wheelchair to walker to hospice. And you know the response is? This is just God. This is his way. You know, we're, we're okay with it. And, and, and I'm okay. I admire the man. He, he the, I'm like asking the family, like, why don't we do something? Like, he's a godly man. Why don't we pray, right? Like, we all believe this stuff. We, we believe this stuff, right? And we, we showed a video, and it is the man, and he's like, I don't fear death. I'm excited to leave the earth. I love that position. I love that position of being so ready to see Jesus. But at the same time, I don't want to be hurrying my way to see him. That's deep. We need to be unafraid of being promoted. Because it is a promotion. But at the same time, like, I can't help to feel that his life isn't done. And so I went up with like five or six other guys and we all prayed and we thanked him for the end of, of his life. And I'm sitting there like every fiber of my body is just revolting. And I put my hand on his head and I'm praying healing. But the entire room is expecting death any day. And, I, and for a moment, I, I, I full, this is the first time in my heart, I believe that man tomorrow can get up and walk and be saved. I totally believe it. I 100% believe it. But I'm not convinced that Jesus goes and forces his will to heal upon people who don't want to be healed. And when people are praying essentially against his healing, I'm doing the best I can, Jesus. I know what you think about this. I'm doing the best I can, but I can't help what's around me. And so I can feel at this point totally valid that I actually had for the first time the fullness of faith for me to pray for healing, but yet it was overcome. Jesus talks about this very same thing in Mark chapter 6. And Jesus said to them, A prophet is, with not, is not without honor except in his hometown and among his own relatives and in his own household. And look at this. It says, He could do no miracle there except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. And he wondered, everyone say wondered. He wondered at their unbelief. Did you read that? Jesus could do no miracle. There was a force that limited the work of God. It didn't say Jesus wouldn't do any miracles. It says he couldn't. Meaning Jesus desired to do more but could not. People say, well, you can't hinder the works of God. You bet you can. Jesus could do no miracle. Jesus places his sovereignty into the hands of people's free choice. When people want to debate the sovereignty of God and why people don't get healed, here's the answer. People ask, what does an all-sovereign God do with, like, you know, showing love and showing power? And it's, it's the totally wrong perception. 
the correct perception, the correct truth is how does an all-loving God use his sovereignty? It's a different mindset. It's not what does an all-sovereign God do? It's what does an all-loving God do with his sovereignty? And right here we see Jesus placing the sovereignty of God into the hands of his own relatives, his own hometown, and saying, I'm not going to force something on you that you don't want. I'm not going to force something on you that you don't believe. Matthew depicts this story a little bit different. Let me read it to you. Matthew 13, 54. And he came to his hometown and began teaching them in their synagogue. So they were astonished and said, where did this man get this wisdom and these miraculous powers? Is this not the carpenter's son? Is his mother called Mary and his brothers James and Joseph and Simon and Judas? I didn't know Jesus had those many brothers. (laughs) That many brothers. And his sisters. I didn't know Jesus had sisters either. Are they not all with us? Where then did this man get all these things? And they took, look at this, and they took offense at him. But Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and his own household. And he did not do many miracles there because of their unbelief. Matthew says he did not do miracles there because of their unbelief. Clearly we see between these two scriptures that Jesus in his sovereignty, he is sovereign for sure. He's all of him first. And he's deciding how to use his sovereignty. Jesus could not do miracles because of unbelief. Now people say it's either unbelief in the person praying or the person receiving. So in this situation, who had unbelief? Wasn't Jesus. Who was it that had unbelief? We actually don't hear of any individual in here that was receiving prayer and being rebuked because of their unbelief. It's referencing people around them. We know it's not just simply those people because it would name specific individuals in the context of relationship. So this brings me to the second part of unbelief. Are you guys all right? Unbelief against you. What I believe Jesus is illustrating here is that you can have unbelief in people praying and receiving and then you can have unbelief against you. Remember, the people you are with and the places you go seem to contribute to the power of God. Previous message. It may be a fact, this is key for everyone here tonight, it may be a fact that you may not be able to bring the power of God to your own family and to your own community. Why? Do you remember in there that Jesus mentions his own household? The people Jesus grew up with and knew the most were the ones that held him back when he was fully mature with his power. The power of low expectation from who he was kept him from doing the miracles in his hometown. It may be a fact that you grow and become a powerful person, but you may not be able to live powerfully among those who you used to belong to. Jesus did not have an issue with unbelief. But the work of his hands was limited with the unbelief against him. Why did they have unbelief against him? Luke 3 tells us, look at this. When he began his ministry, Jesus himself was about 30 years of age. Meaning, people had 30 years with Jesus with no miracles, no healing, and no ministry. Jesus had a radical transformation at 30. Much like a lot of you guys. 
So many of you guys have had crazy transformations later in life that suddenly came about. And it wasn't until Jesus was 30 that he became powerful and, it, and his ministry was not activated until then. Here's what I'm trying to go with this. Sometimes who you were prior may hinder who you want to become later. Who you were prior may hinder who you want to become later. I'm not saying it's not possible, but it, it's important for us to acknowledge that this was at play with Jesus. It was the reputation of who Jesus had always been. That is what kept him from being who he really was in their context. The reputation, let me say that again. The reputation of who Jesus always was kept him from being who he really was. Just because you haven't seen the power of God doesn't mean you don't have it. doesn't mean you can't start using it right now. So many people, I'm going to end with this. So many people look at the inertia of their life and they say, I've reached this point and I can't have the power of God at this point because I've lived so long as a Christian without the power. And it's bull. You might have the power of God in you right now. It just needs to be activated. The light switch has just never been turned on. The electrical is all hooked up. The power is going to the house, but you've never flipped the switch on. And the reputation of who you have always been, whether it's powerless, weak Christians, is the spirit of unbelief against you. If you can't live and sustain your own transformation being who God truly made you, then maybe you should go somewhere else and be with someone else who will recognize for who God made you now and what you do now. We have a powerful woman who left our community doing crazy healings all over like the world now. We're like, that was our friend. That was always with us, you know, and she goes everywhere and she's speaking like you see her on Facebook. Oh, I'm like with the president of this country and this country and, you know, I'm healing his leg and this person's now, you know, walking who's in a wheel. And you're like, that was our person. Because she had her transformation here and didn't have honor here. She took her power, her authority, who she really was, and she showed up on site who she really was. And life made a way for her authority then. What excites me about this ministry is that this is a transitional ministry, meaning that people kind of come in this phase of life and then, you know, people are going to colleges and places elsewhere and moving elsewhere. I love that we're sending like all these seeds all around the country. I love it. Because the truth and the power of who you are here might, and I don't mean this is a knock against our ministry, might not be fully realized until you go to somewhere else who recognizes you at your full potential. I hope that we all can look at each other and always give each other the credibility of who you are now in fullness of Christ, but it may require you to be fully activated in a place that needs you and recognize you at your full stature then. It's kind of like how you um, can like move and like start a new life and nobody like remembers your annoying behaviors from before. But I want to be a ministry that is always looking for the highest level of you and embraces you now and doesn't look at your past. And it's important as we look at the topic of healing, 
and the topic of God's authority and his power that we ask ourselves the question, am I not doing it because I never have? You might be activated. And when you do, and I believe you can, and I believe God wants to, are you going to limit yourself based on your old reputation? Or are you going to walk into what God says you can do and what he's going to do through you? Love you guys. And I had the honor of, uh, I am actually a spiritual father to that young woman. And I'll tell you that we're not the same ministry that we were back then. And so uh, part of kind of the mentality back then, we were immature and there was a lot of comparison, kind of like the disciples where, oh, you can do what? And there was a lot of uh, just kind of immature behavior. We're not immature like that anymore. So if you're sitting here tonight and you're like, wow, do I have to go somewhere? Uh-uh. No. You can be as big as you want to be. Who do you want to be in the kingdom? Ask the Holy Spirit, who am I supposed to be? And start going after it. Because it was when it wasn't so much, it was the same thing, like when the disciples, they had all the knowledge about the Messiah, and they didn't recognize him when he came. We can be that way in church. But you get to a certain maturity level, and you start realizing, hey, like Dorothy Rich, she's quiet, but she goes to El Salvador, and God does crazy things through her. You're, gonna, you're getting ready to see some plain folks get up. And some of them, you're like, I wouldn't have maybe picked those people. They seem kind of like quiet or whatever. And they go to El Salvador, and God does some powerful things. We're seeing God do some powerful things for folks right here. Treasure hunts, all kinds of things, DNA, some of the uh, small groups. When we pray for people, up here at the front, the one thing that we need to improve on is sharing testimonies. Because we're seeing things happen all over our ministry. I get together with a bunch of people because that's what I love. And so I hear the testimonies. I'm begging people. When you get a testimony and God does something powerful, put it on Epic Life. On our Facebook wall. Because we want to hear it. That said, let Jared and Saul and Charity or whoever's and the rest of you come up. Because we want to know these guys are kind of where some of you are. Yeah. And they weren't quite sure what they believed, and they figured that out on this trip. So, All right, so we're going to share some testimonies, and uh, it's awesome to see just what God did while we were there. And even um, just while we were getting ready for the trip and just uh, on our way there and stuff, it was just awesome to see how God was connecting us in community just within ourselves uh, and just bringing us closer, but also what he was doing through us. So it was pretty awesome. So Daniel's actually going to share first. And he's going to share a testimony. A whole bunch. Okay. So, um, so going to El Salvador, um, that was a completely different experience for me. It was my first time traveling outside the United States. As soon as I got into the country, I felt like I was home, even though I could not speak Spanish. 
I believe that God, I believe that came from God because um, what I was doing was missionary work. And God will always make you feel like you're at home no matter where you are. One of the biggest things I was impacted by was the kids, was playing with the kids at the school down there. I felt so accepted. So many kids gave me big hugs, and it filled my heart with joy. When I was playing soccer with the kids, all of a sudden I started crying from a spirit of joy that God gave me. It was very incredible. These kids are so entertained by so little. All they need is a soccer ball and a field, and they can have hours of fun. Once I discovered the really poor parts of El Salvador, my mind changed forever. Some of the people there are so poor that they live on $300 a year. Some live in houses made of sticks and leaves. Since they can't afford to pay for trash pickup, they live in conditions where trash is everywhere. It was a complete culture shock for me. Being at, the country, being at the country made me realize how blessed I really am. It gets really hot and humid down there, and a lot of people don't live with an, don't live with an AC in the house. Another big thing that happened to me was that I got struck with the Holy Spirit of God so much. While Aaron was playing Open the Eyes of My Heart, Lord, in Spanish on guitar during a church service, I got really struck with this Holy Spirit. It was very hot in that building at that time, too. The heat of the building and the heat of the Holy Spirit hit me so hard, and it was like double the heat. I was sweating so much, so much so that the lady who was behind me let me borrow her fan. <laughs> Then we prayed for many people, and, and a lot of them had physical healings. Um, um, there was this one lady, um, she had a um, sciatic nerve pain, and um, it, the pain level was at about a 10. As soon as we were all done praying as a group, it went from a 10 to a zero. It was incredible. And... Um, hmm. It was, it was amazing. When, um, when we were down there, um, God reminded me of the scripture, Mark chapter 16, verse 18. Lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. That's the gospel right there. There is, there is a revivalist named Randy Clark, and he believes that healings are central to the gospel. I believe we are moved, that, that we were moved powerfully down there. I'm already convinced that the devil hated us for being down there because we were destroying his work. So yeah, my life has never been the same since I went to El Salvador. And there's one other thing I want to say. Um, I also, um, I connected with all these people at such a deeper, deeper, deeper level. It was, it's been incredible. I've got, I was going through some emotional things, and uh, they were just able to speak words of life over me. And I, and I just sobbed and sobbed and sobbed because of how much love they showed towards me. So uh, my life is absolutely Never been the same since I've been to El Salvador. Thank you guys so much for letting me share. Thank you, Daniel. We're going to have a couple more quick uh, testimonies here. Elisa? Okay. Um, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> um, I don't really have all the words. For what God did in El Salvador. Um, I, I want to brag on the team for a minute, actually, because I believe y'all are going to hear a lot of testimonies about healing and what happened. But 
this right here is the bride of Christ. And it's not just the people that went, it's all of us. And um, the things that we saw God do, that includes you. Like, you sent us, so thank you for giving us the opportunity. Um, Our victories are your victories. And I just saw Jesus, like, in each one of my team members, and Renee and Chacal and different ones that were down there that ministered in my heart, like, it touched a lot of places in me that needed to be touched. And I saw Jesus in each one of you, and that was bringing healing to me. And so I don't, I don't really know how to communicate what God did because it was so deep and it was so beautiful. And I saw an aspect of love happening between each team member. And I saw Jesus and that love. And I saw just as much love between each other as we poured out into El Salvador. And it was just, it was powerful. I I don't have words. (laughs) Like, I wish I could explain. It felt like we were walking on cloud nine, like the whole time we were there, we were operating in power, like the bride is supposed to, she's powerful, but she's beautiful and she's strong. And we were operating as the body of Christ. When when somebody would hold back, it was like we weren't fully moving forward. But when we were all operating out of who we were created to be, it was like we were unstoppable. And God was able to do mighty, beautiful things. So... Thank you. It was awesome to see, too, how um, all the women really stepped out. And uh, women are so powerful. And uh, we just, you create an environment like this for them to thrive in. And it was awesome to see all the women just totally step out and how we all play a different part. Jacqueline's going to share a quick testimony. All right. So one of the nights we were there that Daniel already mentioned, we went to a prayer chapel And first we started out with worship, and um, Aaron actually learned a bunch of songs in Spanish and led worship in Spanish, which is awesome. Um, (laughs) And then Saul gave a message in Spanish, so (laughs) that was cool. (laughs) And then afterwards, we prayed for, I don't know, like 10, 15 people, Every single person we prayed for, for physical healing, got healed. We, <laughs> to, to name a few things that happened, um, we had one woman who had arthritis pain all over her body. I think she said it was at like a level nine. We prayed over her, and she couldn't move her head or her hands because it was so painful. We prayed over her. All the pain went away. She got full movement back in her neck and her hands. Another woman, she was the leader of the prayer chapel, chapel, the pastor there. She had back pain in her lower back at about level three, but it was at 10 in the morning. And she also had a lump in her side that we could feel. Callie actually felt it. And so we prayed over her, and the back pain went away, and we couldn't find the lump anywhere. (laughs) Yeah. So, and then we also prayed for a lot of uh, spiritual and emotional healings while we were there as well. Um, the Holy Spirit really 
showed us a lot of what was going on in their lives and we were able to speak into their lives and that really assisted in the physical healings that were happening because a lot of times physical healings need to happen but spiritual healings need to happen for those physical healings to happen so yeah it was pretty amazing and that night ended up that was at the beginning of our week there and that night opened up a bunch of doors for later on in the week All right, last person, Saul, last but not least. He's got another one for us. Yeah. Um, there were so many, but a couple that stand out. We had prayed, or we had prayed for all the people, about 15, 18 people all got healed. And then we had a family relative, or a relative of the family that I had asked if we could go to their home on a separate night to pray for the salvation. Um, and healing of her family. And I said, actually, we can't afford salvation on anybody. So if they're not wanting to accept Christ, we can pray for healing, but we can't pray for salvation. And she understood that. She made it very clear that her grandma had denied Christ multiple, multiple times, and her uncle had denied Christ multiple, multiple times. So we told the team, guys, we can't cast anything out. We're just praying for healing. Let's just let the presence of God fall upon them. And so we all just surrounded them, we started praying, and it was interesting because a lot of the places that we went to, we would see vultures in the air, and then a wind would come, and the vultures would clear, and doves would start landing around us. That happened multiple times, and so a dove lands on the house, and I was like, thank you, Jesus. We know you're here. Just making declarations, and um, we just all gather around the family, and one of the, the uncle actually had a paralyzed foot from birth that he couldn't actually have any feeling, and he had a limp. And he had club feet. And so we started to pray. And I saw that one of the little boys that was standing, part of the family, he kept sticking his little hands out towards us. And so I was like, this is amazing. So Holy Spirit's like, get him involved. So I call him over and I asked him in Spanish, do you know Jesus? And he put his little hands up like this, like prayer. And he says, see. And so I said, put your little hand on your uncle's foot and I want you to pray. And I told him what to pray. I said, we command healing into your foot. And so he did everything as we're all gathered. And his uncle, we asked him, what do you feel? And he says, I feel heat. Um, his club foot never straightened out, but all his feeling that was paralyzed from birth was healed. And we just declared, we rejoiced over it. It was amazing because not only did we have a word for the little boy, but afterwards, we were kind of finishing up and Holy Spirit was like, why don't you ask if they're ready to receive me? And I was like, I'm not doing that. We were already told he's, been, he's trying to deny, he's denied you. Holy Spirit said it again. I was like, okay, here we go. So I go up to the grandma first, which had denied Christ multiple times. And uh, I'm sorry, I went to the uncle first and I said, um, I really feel like God wants you to know that he loves you and he's ready to know if you're ready to receive him into your heart. He didn't even hesitate. He said, yes, I am. And so he received Christ. He received Christ and um, the relative that had asked us to come immediately collapses because she couldn't believe what was happening in front of her. She was Christian, had been praying and praying and they had just denied it. So he's walking away and Holy Spirit's like, okay, let's go and ask grandma now. And I'm like, why not? So call her over and she she was 90 years old so 
really hard of hearing and I kept asking her at first I was like I don't know if she can actually hear me and uh Chaka the guy that was with us helping us he's like speak louder in Spanish I was like oh so I started screaming I'm like are you ready to receive Jesus and she's like yes so she receives Jesus on the spot and again um it was a really beautiful moment because the lady that had asked us to come didn't think that they would ever receive Christ and we told her the confirmations of your prayers made all the difference. We just came in and supported what you had already done. So for those of you that have given up on family members, don't give up. Don't give up because all it takes is one night with Jesus and they come to the kingdom. The other testimony that I want to quickly share is we went to the poorest part of El Salvador. In Spanish, it's called El Milagro. And it's called, that's called the miracle because uh, Renee, who actually is there, says, it's a miracle that anybody lives here. I had never seen so much trash. People are living in it's sticks. There's raw sewage everywhere. The smell is, just smells horrible. And uh, we went up to a family, gave him some food, and there was a little boy that was, uh, had a hernia. So we were praying for him. And as soon as about four or five of us surrounded him, we put our hands on him, and the presence of God just fell on top of us. And five of us just started weeping, not crying, weeping. And the little boy actually was the one that started to cry first. And so we just kept praying, and I was having a hard time composing myself because I had never felt the presence that strongly. And the whole time, the whole family is getting rocked too, and they're just crying. Everybody feels the presence. And the little boy looks up at us, and he just has the biggest smile. After crying for that long, he just looked up and smiled and I know that that little boy is called to not only bring the kingdom in El Salvador, but you're going to know about that little boy around the world. Because the look in his eyes was, I know that I was created to be powerful, and he felt what he was created to be in that moment. So there's so many others, but those are the ones that really, um, I feel like I need to talk about a little bit about the supernatural, because it was happening. We went out to the Mayan ruins, and everybody has weapons out there. As soon as we start praying, gunshots all around us, everywhere. And I'm like, I hit the floor. I was like, I'm sitting down. Because I know if I make myself lower, I'm already pretty short. But if I make myself lower, my chances of getting hit are this small. So as soon as I sat down, everybody else sat down. And I was like, Jesus, um, I am scared. I don't like guns. But we're going to continue to do this. So we just prayed and that was one of the areas where vultures kept circling us. And people, multiple people were putting oil, anointed oil on the ground. And I just felt compelled to put a cross of oil on the ground. And I did. So I just put it on there and I said, I bless this land with your presence. And we just know that you're here. And that's when the wind came, the vultures left. Another dove lands on the steps of the Mayan ruins. And as we're praying, I looked down, and this cross that I had put in the form of a cross, crucifix, is now in the shape of a very defined heart. And I was like, hey, guys, come check this out. And everybody was just amazed. Um, he was just doing a lot of signs and wonders in that way. Whenever there were powerful moments in ministry, we could hear church bells in the distance, specifically in those moments. Not any other time, just in those moments. Another amazing part, uh, one young man that was helping us we uh, were able to pray for him, and he got activated in the prophetic because the night we were praying for the grandma, he says, 
Saul, can, can you translate? And I was like, yes, of course. I'm going to translate to English for you guys. And he says, I would never do this, but God is speaking to me, and I have to say this. And he starts prophesying all these things that we had already talked because he didn't understand English. And he starts prophesying basically the same things we had prayed. And all of us are like, wow. So his activation was immediate, and he was out praying for people when he'd never done it before. Um, so it was really amazing to see when the presence falls, what it's, what's already in you releases into, out into the atmosphere. So those are some of the testimonies. So we, if uh, we could have the worship team up, and uh, this is going to be a good time to pray for healing. Uh, one of the things, it was kind of funny, when we were on the Mayan ruins, we're sitting there, and when Saul crouches down, we're like, man, I guess this is pretty holy. Like, I guess we should, you know, get down. And then later, he's like, did you guys hear the gunshots? We heard them, and they said it, they were fireworks, but it was very interesting. The timing was uh, interesting, uh, to say the least. But also, when we started praying, as soon as we started praying, all of a sudden, the wind picked up. And actually, I say picked up, but it didn't even pick up. It, it, there was no wind, and all of a sudden, the wind came, and that's when the vultures started flying away. And so many times we had uh, doves following us and flying around us and it was just, and feathers falling and it was awesome. So God was totally moving and uh, it was really awesome to see what he was doing. So if you like healing, go ahead and uh, come up and uh, we're going to be praying for healing and if the rest of the prayer team wants to come up. Um, also, if you have... Uh, if you there's something where you want to be praying for healing for other people and there's maybe something going on, go ahead and come over here and uh, you can talk to us and and uh, Saul has something to say too. Throughout the entire service, God was saying, the sword of the Spirit is here. And he actually was telling me, I want you to declare a releasing and a ripping of the healing anointing over this ministry. And so if you have never participated in a healing, but have always prayed for it and wanted it, tonight I feel like God, he clearly said, the sword of the spirit is here. Go ahead and release that valve. And so if you want that, like Eric said, we can't force that. If you're not okay with it, totally fine. But if you are, I want you to put your hands out like this. And I just want you to receive and understand that each one of you is a gateway for the presence to fall in any atmosphere that you're in. And so right now, we just declare that the sword of the spirit is here. Uh, and we just release the seal upon every single one of you in the name of Jesus Christ and by his blood. And we just declare that every single one of you has the power of God to release healing into any atmosphere. We just declare freedom to exercise this gift without condemnation. And I feel like you guys need to know this. In the beginning, when we started doing the treasure hunts, there were many, many months where we prayed for healing, and there wasn't a single thing that was happening, but we never gave up. Do not be discouraged if you pray and nothing happens. Because when that seal was ripped open, when we did the treasure hunts, nine out of 10 people that we usually pray for get healed. 
but it wasn't always like that. Still, do not be discouraged. Keep exercising the gift. And so I just bless you with boldness. I bless you with authority. And I bless you to release this amazing gift that God has given every single one of you. In Jesus' name.